from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life, our weekly conversation in which we explore everything related to work and the rest of your life, your family or your home life, your community, our society, and of course, your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. How do you find harmony among those different parts? Where are the pressure points? What can you do to find a little bit more peace, control, and better performance in all the different parts of life? That's what we explore here. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I founded Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program almost 30 years ago and now run a management consulting and training company called Total Leadership. Visit totalleadership.org. You can find all about our uh, services that help people and organizations to create greater harmony, improve performance in the different parts of life. There's free book chapters, articles, videos, assessment tools, all kinds of stuff there at totalleadership.org. And you can find new episodes of our show that you're listening to right now. They premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM channel 132. And you can follow us on Twitter, SXM Business. And I am at Stu Friedman. Well, it seems that there are basically two topics on everyone's mind right now. I'm sure there are more, but the two big ones, uh, coronavirus pandemic and the United States election. Uh, so you can go ahead and discuss COVID-19 if you have to. But my guest today says, don't get into politics when you're interacting with your work colleagues. Really? That's what we are going to interrogate. That question of what do we talk about? What should we not talk about? What are the risks involved in talking about emotionally hot topics that aren't really a part of your job? I'm happy to welcome Tony Ewing to today's program. Tony is the CEO of Conquer Risk, which is a Hong Kong-based risk management and compliance consultancy. And he's also a motivational speaker and a coach. Tony, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you. Thank you, Stu. Thanks very much for having me. <laughs> Let me uh, tell uh, listeners a little bit more about you before we jump into the conversation. Maurice, otherwise known as Tony Ewing, is a former senior banker um, and a public company board member. He's Princeton certified behavioral scientist who is a PhD student of uh, John Nash and Daniel Kahneman, Nobel laureates. He's advised over $4 billion in corporate investments and initiatives using behavioral science methods to inform decision-making and group dynamics. He's also an active columnist for Forbes. If you're listening, it's very possible that you're one of his followers. He's got over 200,000 and millions of views of his writings, which are informative and provocative. He's also on the ed executive education faculty at the University of Cambridge. All right, Tony, um, you know, you've written some wonderful pieces recently in, in Forbes uh, under your byline, including five belief shattering reasons to never discuss politics at work and nine topics you shouldn't discuss at work um, and five ways to discuss a controversial issue at work. I know that many listeners are wondering about this issue um, because it's, it's on everyone's minds. How do you, how do you manage? How do you navigate those, those treacherous waters? Um, we're just, um, very close to a huge election in the United States. You've got editorial boards that have never weighed in to endorse a candidate they're weighing in. You've got storied scientific journals that likewise have never weighed in on an election, let alone endorsed a, a presidential candidate. They're doing so. You've got record numbers of Republican establishment luminaries, not just simply voting Democrat, but outspokenly endorsing the Democratic candidate. You've got military leaders who likewise have historically steered clear of politics, outright endorsing the challenger. So, whoa, perhaps I'm giving away some bias here and you're probably going to scold me about that. But this this is the huge elephant in the Zoom room when we're meeting on Zoom these days. Um, how do you ignore it and how do you manage it without getting yourself in trouble and invoking fear, which is a big part of what you write about with respect to risk. 
Yeah, well, well, Stu, I, I think the main the main issue is I, I'm not saying ignore politics altogether. I'm mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know it's it's necessary to to figure out you know what, what what are you there at your at your workplace to do? What are what are you there to achieve? Mm-hmm. And then you have to ask yourself if things that you'd you'd really like to discuss, things that you'd really like to bring up with your colleagues are things that could in in any way undermine what you're trying to achieve in that workplace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the issue is that these, you know, certainly the presidential politics, uh, as you mentioned, coronavirus, those are, those are, you know, the two biggest issues that are affecting everyone right now. But that also means they're affecting your companies, most likely. They're affecting your business. And, you know, whether you're the, the boss or you have a boss, then uh, you're, you're, you're probably concerned uh, from a business point of view about uh, exactly what you're going to do. And, and what, I, what I point out, I think, in one of the first uh, of, of those articles that I wrote about this um, is the idea that unless you're in a business that's directly related to politics, that is, you know, you're working in D.C. and you're <laughs> for a lobbyist firm or something like that, then most likely your business model is something that you're you're trying to figure out what are you going to do and what is what is it that you might need to do well you might need to so you have uh, to talk about politics because that's the nature of your work yeah yeah right exactly so if if you have to talk about politics that's one thing if you don't have to talk about politics the problem is there's a psychological issue that comes into play people remember what you say they remember uh how you say it. And they, they, they put, you know, they sort of put a badge on you, mm-hmm. even though, you know, it's, it's a qualification, even though, you know, you, for example, you might have colleagues that you, you know, that they, you know, they never, you never suspected they would have supported uh, Biden or they would have supported Trump or they would have supported somebody where they would have been independent. Now they bring that out into the, into the open. And it's very difficult for you to forget that, but you can't forget it. We, we have a, a bias called curse of knowledge. I mean, once, once I've revealed to you something, it's almost impossible for you to, to forget it and to get over that, that uh, hump. It's going to affect how you, you treat me, how you talk to me. So, so you might, you know, it might seem like a joke. You might say, oh, we got a MAGA guy in the room or something like that. But then it starts to, to build because that person has, has taken note of, something and they they've they've you know they pegged you in a certain way um and and i you know if, if i can say something political here i mean you know one of the things that we notice in the united states is that we're you know it's a very diverse country with lots and lots of different concerns but, and it's, it's it's a complicated country mm-hmm. and yet we have two candidates and so if someone earmarks you someone says you know well you're a biden type of person or you're a trump type of person They've essentially brushed aside all of that complexity mm-hmm. that is you, and they lumped you into a place, and and that's that's not a necessarily a good place to be, especially. Why is that? What what's the risk there? If you if you are associated with one, let's call it political brand or another, how does that create risk for you? Well, it, I think I think the, the the risk is more from your colleagues taking their own sort of. Uh, their own sort of picture of that person, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, again, I I, I try whatever to... that might be. You might not know what it is, of course, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's something that's subconscious. They might not know what it is, but you know, for example, they might not have they might have never uh, taken you as as uh, a, a supporter of this particular candidate. So, mm-hmm. for example, uh, I'm African American, right? Not not a lot of African Americans are you know gung ho Trump fans. So if you're African American and you come out and you, and you you mention something positive about Trump, then naturally other colleagues are, are probably going to wonder, well, you know, what, what's what's up with this guy? I mean, why 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 are they supporting you know Trump? I mean, what's what's the issue? And they'll have all sorts of questions about that. And it might simply be that maybe you like Trump because of taxes or something that you know has really nothing to do with a social uh, a social issue, but people might associate it with that social issue. Now to answer your question. Where that, where that then, you know, will, will, will come down to is in the workplace, you know, we have to admit it, it's also at times a kind of quasi-social place. So a person, when they're thinking of who they're going to promote to a position where they're going to work closely with that person, they're going to think, well, do I really want this person working next to me? Now, you might never really have to discuss politics. You might never really have to discuss those private things. But then at the same time, they can't forget that when promotion time comes. And so they might be thinking, well, now let's let's take this guy. I mean, he seemed like a really nice guy. He's a performer, but at the same time, I don't know. He 
he likes Trump. I mean, I don't know if I want that guy next to me, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a problem. I think that's a problem because what you've done is you've taken a person who, again, may or may not have, may or may not ascribe to all the views of that particular candidate, certainly cannot be described as a person in terms of one of those candidates, either one of them. And yet now you've, you've essentially given them the badge of being essentially that candidate. You're, you're treating them like Trump or like Biden when in fact they're, they're not necessarily that. They don't necessarily subscribe to all those views. And yet those views might be attributed to you. A whole range of views might be attributed to you inaccurately because you because of a, a comment that you might make that would associate with you with one political brand, as I'm calling it, or another. And, and that creates risk because of the negative, the potential negative con- connotations in someone else's inferential line of thinking, right? What they think about you that you might never know. You probably won't know. Exactly. And, and, and you use the right term attribution. We have a, we have a concept called false attribution, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I will, I sit there. I mean, commonly we, we think of it as a stereotype. So, so I will, I will start to, to think of you, start to think of your, your pluses and minuses, your virtues, your faults, in the context that I've ascribed to you, that I've attributed to that thing which I've I've stereotyped, and again, in in this case, when we're talking about something that's emotionally uh, charged, like like a, a you know a heated political election, um, and I think I lumped in in the first article I wrote, I wrote polit- I, I, I lumped politics and religion. You know, we've we've probably all grown up in the U.S. with that thing of there are certain things you don't discuss with family and friends, and that's you know politics and religion, and that in it's because those are, are, are two concepts which they might be very important to all of us. And by virtue of their importance, they, they bring in an emotional charge. And that emotional charge often can lead to a situation where I, again, I make lots of false attributions to other people. When I make those false attributions, they in turn respond with, with emotion. And the next thing you know, our, 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 our conversation has moved away again from the workplace or to, from, from what we're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. something that, that an argument or, or a, a, you know, something where the, the two of us are become cool on each other. And, and an might- issue that isn't really related to what it is that we are uh, tasked to do together in our, in our work. And that, sure. that's the problem that, that you're identifying. Am I right? Yes, certainly. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, we, we, you, you, you know, you're not, we're not robots, so we need to have a good relationship with our colleagues. Uh-huh. If we, if we add something that's an emotional charge uh, at a time when there's an emotional charge at a time when, uh, as you, as you opened up in, in saying at a time when there are two, you know, issues, you know, these are global issues. Uh, you know, I, I, in, in our lifetimes, I don't think we've had another period where there's, there's just been two global elements that have uh, that have come together at one time in in such a short span of time in, in roughly six eight months yeah as a result that's you know that's that's put us a lot under uh, psychological strain under physical strain so so how do you not talk about it is a question let me just remind listeners this is work and life on Sirius XM 132 I'm speaking with Tony Ewing uh, behavioral scientist who's a coach, a motivational speaker, and he has a consultancy called Conquer Risk. Uh, <clears throat> and we're talking about the risks uh, inherent in political discussion at work. Um, we are going to get to, all right, what can you talk about that's low risk? We'll get to that, Tony. But I want to stay on this um, This you know, how do you avoid talking about politics when it is so pressing and it affects our daily lives? Uh, as you said, we're not robots. And isn't there a risk of coming across as a robot if you don't take a political point of view? Not right. to mention what you think about yourself when you look in the mirror or talk to your kids about your values and what you're trying to do to make the world a better place? Well, um, I, what, what I guess what I would say is, is think about it in a normal conversation, right? We we're most of us, uh, you know, our, our parents raise us to, to try to listen, right? And, and part of the reason they try to, you know, raise you to listen is because, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's a natural and easy way of becoming uh, perceived as, as, as polite. I mean, when, you're, when you listen and let others talk about themselves instead of talking about yourself, 
then uh, for some funny reason, psychologically, we take a, a liking to such people. Mm-hmm. And I think in when it comes to political discussions, there's this, you know, again, we're talking about in the workplace, we're talking about with people that you may or may not have a personal or close relationship with, they may not know you beyond the, 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 the workplace. In those contexts, I think it's, it's important to sort of come back and, and think about what are those things that we can all acknowledge or share are important about, say, politics. For example, we, we, can, all, we can all acknowledge that this is going to be a major election. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can all acknowledge that given what's gone on over the last several months, that this is going to impact the country. So depending mm-hmm. upon the outcome, right, re- regardless of the outcome, there will be some result. There will be something that will impact us. So if we're in a business, again, if we're back, back to the workplace, yeah. then we can all discuss the, the issue of what do we think would be the outcome, right? And Because that's it, a shared interest that we have, no matter our political persuasion. Exactly. And, and, and there, it's, it's a little harder for people to simply interject something that's, that's not really on the basis of any sort of data, right? Mm. We, we, we can recognize, I mean, for example, I, I don't know anyone... Uh, that is a Trump supporter that that doesn't recognize the significance of uh, President Trump's tweets and and the sort of uh, what, do, what do they call that in, in, in baseball the sort of uh, you know I don't know wild ball or what is, you know you know where where you know you, you, you where where basically you know you he, a curveball right he, he you know so he, he can have a tweet you know things can be going in one direction he can say something and it completely can change. The nature of the direction of a discussion. It could be a discussion with with leaders of state, heads of state. It could be a discussion of a major issue. Now, everyone kind of acknowledges that. So, if you're in a business that can be affected by something like that, even prior to this election, mm-hmm. you could, I think everyone could have agreed that well, it, it's it's possible that it, uh, you know a, tr- a a tweet by Trump, a wild pitch perhaps, is what you might have been looking for. I was looking for a wild pitch could could actually somehow have a major impact on our business. Now, we can say the same thing with the outcome of the election. We don't know what that outcome will be, but we can we can try to think of how that might affect us. How might it affect what we're doing? How might it affect the way we come to work? All right, so let's say we're talking about that and then somebody says, "Well, so hey Stu, where do you stand? Who do you support?" What do well, I what do I do then, Tony, if I if I'm trying and I'm not saying that I, I would try, but let's say I'm trying to follow your advice to be neutral and therefore non-threatening, not evoking of fear in other people about me as somebody who they would not want to associate with because of my political views. What, what do I do in that situation? Well, what I, what I often, uh, I mean, pe- people have, have posed that question to me. What I've tried to do is, is sort of step back and, and say, well, you know, neither candidate is perfect. And, you know, I, there's a lot of things that I'm trying to, to really process before I, I come to vote. And, you know, and then when they dig and when someone is, you know, when they're really going out. Oh, after- come on, Tony, really? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Everybody's I- decided by now, haven't you? Come on now. Yeah, exactly. But in a professional setting. Yes. Talking about it at home, yeah, with my buddies. I mean, I think we we can we can share, we can talk about, you know, yeah. remember, vote for, but but if if we're if we're talking about a professional setting and where I'm not entirely sure how someone's going to to perceive the the that statement or whether I think they're for, for example, if I think they're they're sensitive to it. I mean, for example, a lot of information, and this is one of the challenges of the, the age we live in. There's a lot of information that comes out about political candidates, which people will ascribe to those candidates. And I think we, we saw this with, for example, the Me Too movement, right? So now you take somebody that, that they might have a reason for supporting either one of the candidates. I'm, I'm pretty sure somebody at somewhere along the line has come up with some statement about uh, either of the candidates, you know, making an off-color statement, making a, a sexist statement and so forth. Now you, you, if you, you can't win, right? So if you, if you were to say, I'm, I'm going to vote for this one, then they're going to say, well, you're going to vote for that. You know, that guy, he, he pinches people. I mean, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to, you're going to have your, there's no way for you to win that conversation. You can't win. I think that kind of summarizes in some sense, your, your basic argument, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
There's no, and, he, and the reason you can't win is because you're going to evoke negative reactions about you no matter what you say. Yeah, yeah. And well, because people cannot condition those negative reactions against anything else. What do they you mean by that? What, what do you mean they can't condition them? They don't, they don't know you personally. They don't know you, you know, again, at a work setting, mm-hmm. in, when it's a mixed setting, when it's people that you may not know personally, they don't know the you that's behind that person who's head of marketing, right? They, they know you as the head of marketing. Now you've made this statement and it's, it's surprising. Um, for, for example, I'll give you an example. When, when my um, uh, dissertation advisor, so, so I, I, I was a student of John Nash and, and Daniel Kahneman. My dissertation advisor was Ben Bernanke, right? Mm-hmm. And he was the, he's a former Fed chairman. Right. It, I think it surprised all of us because Ben is a very quiet guy, except when he's teaching, he's a very quiet person. When we all discovered that he was a registered Republican, and that he was going to be appointed by uh, George Bush, all of us were surprised. Not not necessarily negatively surprised. I mean, I you know I don't I don't know. Maybe there were some people in his life that did because he, again he, the type of person that is a very private person in but, class anyway or with students. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was a surprise. That was also a surprise because you know you're you're talking of you know Ivy League campus, very very liberal campus. You're, you know, it's just. That the idea of somebody being a a, a Republican or a, you know an outspoken Republican in, in especially from a from Princeton is just you know that's that's surprising especially as a professor. So so my point is that you know you you know him as a professor you don't know him personally mm-hmm. and and all of a sudden you see this other this other side of it. Now for me it did it didn't really matter. I mean that that's not something that I mean I again I tried to I tried to. to to think about it. And then because I, I was his student and his advisee, I, I tended probably to know him better than, let's say, some of my classmates who just had him for class. And, and, that, and what that means is I could condition against, I could say, well, you know, this is actually a really brilliant individual, right? So mm-hmm. he could have supported, you know, uh, a Martian. And so I you still- didn't make the negative attributions that somebody who didn't know him and had more of a context Exactly. Uh, would have would have made so yeah. so political discussions make enemies but not friends is one of the things that you advise in one of your articles yeah, um, yeah. that's that seems accurate but does it not make friends let me let me just press on that a bit like why why does making a political statement or revealing your political preferences your values about you know society's you know, choices. Why does that not align you then with people who who are well like minded? Well, I I think it's because you're for for one thing again back to the complexity of of you right. You're you're you and I may share the support of a particular candidate right, but we may have very different lives, very different lives that draw down on several lines. You may have views that that greatly diverge from mine somewhere else but we happen to vote for the same candidate. And what, what I see there is there's a potential for us to kind of have almost a false friendship, right? If, if we're gonna be close, we're gonna be friends, we're gonna be good colleagues and so forth. Let's do it on a fundamental level. As I was saying about uh, Bernanke, I mean, he, he could have supported a Martian. I still would have thought he's a brilliant guy it, 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 because I could see that there's something there and I, I know there's something there as a person mm-hmm. that was much, much, it, it just went far beyond politics, which to me seems much more, more trite. You, you see what I mean? It, we, we might agree, maybe he liked uh, this uh, particular candidate because of the tax policy that the person had, or maybe that's because of his situation. But you can imagine two people agreeing on a political candidate, and then at some stage, them uh, disagreeing about something else. Mm-hmm. And especially with this election, uh, actually the last couple of elections, we've had a lot of divisive issues, socially divisive issues. And I think that's the, that's the other element that's quite dangerous here, right? I mean, you know, perhaps 30, 40 years ago, maybe, maybe the candidates were not so divided on, on, on certain key issues that might touch people right to the core. But when you're talking about things about religion, uh, ethnicity, uh, gender, uh, those kinds of things, you, you have a lot of divisions. And Again, it's not clearly right down the middle between the two candidates. Mm-hmm. So you, you can get two people that support uh, Joe Biden, but those two people might uh, have further discussions and they find that, well, really, I really don't like the way you think about that, right? 
<laughs> and now you 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 you've you, you've got a a problem. You've got a you've got a you've created a, a situation that's uncomfortable. When I'm not sure if it's if that was necessary in the first place. Well, it, it's certainly well. It, it might not have been necessary, but if you if you look at it from the perspective of you know, uh, let's say you have strong political views and you're trying to educate your children mm-hmm. as to what is to be valued in society. Um, how do you want them to see you? Which side of history do you want to be known as having sided with uh, to, you know, to your children and to their children at a, at a critical juncture in you know, the course of our, of our nation's history? I think th- these are the questions that are, are really challenging for people today as they look to try to maintain a kind of neutrality which you are you know with the wisdom of the you know the behavioral science uh being brought to bear on this question advising right but i i i want us and when we come back from this break try to square that with um how do we represent the values we hold dear in all the different parts of our lives so that we can well look our kids straight in the eye and say this is what i did and why uh, and, and why I did it for you. Um, I, I know you've got some wisdom on that. We'll pick it up when we come back. I also want to make sure that we get to, all right, how do you, how do you talk about things that don't create fear and, and negative attributions to you with respect to your views about all things human beyond work? Uh, when we come back, we'll get to that. So short break here. Don't go away. I'll continue my conversation with Tony Ewing. When we come back, I'm Stu Friedman. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Hey, welcome back to Work and Life. So glad you're here. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. And my guest today is Tony Ewing. He is a behavioral scientist, a motivational speaker and coach, and he runs a consultancy called Conquer Risk. We're talking about the risks of political discussion at work. Uh, Before the break, Tony, I asked you, well, how do you align that with, how do you align the values that you espouse or, or, or disguise at work in order to avoid uh, evoking fear and a sense of threat in other people because of your uh, their perceptions of you as a result of any political position you might hold. How do you reconcile that with what you might tell the people in your home environment or in your you know your religious community about the values that you uphold? Any thoughts about squaring those or aligning the values that you espouse and express in the different parts of your life? Yeah, um, I, I, I think it's a great question. I mean, you know, from my point of view, we, we have, uh, unfortunately, in the U.S., moved to a stage where I think we're, we're looking more publicly for values that we bring back home rather than where, for example, you started, which, you know, we have children, we would like to instill certain values and for those values to be manifest in, in how they behave. So, you know, if if a person, for example, our, our you know, my parents, uh, they are Christian. They they raised us to to not you know go out and tell everybody, oh, you know, we're Christian, do this, but to behave like we're Christian, and because that was you know that's the way we're from the Midwest, we're from this this kind of background, and and so now I I, I can't say I've always behaved that way, but that's that was that was the aim, and so all right, details, Tony. Now we're getting into it. Yeah. So so tell us so, about all the times that you didn't act in a Christian way, starting with. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But, but, but I, I, I think that's that's the point. So, so, yeah. so suppose How I behave is what people see. Exactly. And, and, and suppose I go with, you know, if I start saying to myself, well, I'm going to define my view about, you know, uh, I don't know, the world and morality mm-hmm. with the leader that we, you know, I vote for, it seems a bit backwards. And, and it, it reminds me of something. There's some recent work that was done uh, in, in the UK, and it was actually by a Harvard professor, but they, they did it jointly with some professors in the UK. And they, they discovered that the open office space has been actually um, somewhat detrimental for a lot of companies in terms of the, the social and psychological um, 
impact it's had on, on people. So in other words, people, you know, people want to keep that dividing line between their professional life and their work life. Mm-hmm. And when we have that open office space where everybody's sharing, and, and of course, in, in, in our you know, digital age, that sharing is more than just sharing in terms of noise. It's, it's like, you know, you, you've got a boss that's got a monitor and can actually see what you're doing, see what you're, you know, the amount of time you're spending looking at this and so forth and so on. So you, you've got a heavily monitored environment mm-hmm. that is meant to be relaxed, but in fact, your, your life is on display. And uh, and and that actually it 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 has a it creates challenges for people. Now this study was done before the pandemic, and I I would love to see if they do something after the pandemic to see whether that's that's actually gotten worse because there have been you know CDC and uh, NIH a few of the other uh, medical uh, research uh, bodies have have been doing studies on the mental health implications of COVID and pandemic and measures and things like this. And again, they're finding similar issues that, you know, people being isolated, mm-hmm. um, being at work, you know, you, the average person is now working two hours more a day, um, you know, things like that. There, you know, there's just so more. If, if you're a boss, I, let me just jump in here and get to a, a question that um, I, I think is an important one that you are leading us to consider if let's say you're a boss uh, whether of a large or a really tiny team or a group what what guidance do you have for people who are supervisors bosses leaders of departments or small companies or even big companies about what they ought to be doing in terms of helping their people um in in this slice of their you know, quest for having some peace in their lives and some, some sense of control and, and harmony. And that is in terms of political discussion. What do you, what do, you do? do you, how do you set norms for what's acceptable speech in the workplace or just make people feel like they can be human beings without pissing each other off? Yeah. Any guidance on that? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the, you know, when we're talking loosely, when we're saying political discussion, we're talking about a discussion of, you know, why I would support this candidate over another candidate. But if we're talking about the issues that have arisen, so for example, uh, you know, uh, even if it's just a matter of you wondering about the blockage of traffic, uh, protests probably are something that came into the office space. And those might manifest in a discussion of, of uh, national politics, but the fact is, it's it's a real issue, and so people would have to discuss that. Now, I think bosses would be forced to discuss that. It is in its essence political, but it's not an election political issue. It's not a, it's not necessarily a bipartisan issue per se. And so I think that's that's an issue where a boss would have to come and and, and perhaps even go and talk to people. And 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 you know, one of the things I point out in, in one of the points I make, and I, I try to try to support what I what I write about with some scientific studies. So there's there's some evidence that that people that that, that when you know when we approach people and we ask them uh, you know what exactly is it that that is is bothering you and we try to get to the to the you know to the bottom of it and we're genuine with that. Mm-hmm. It actually just just that step alone often helps people to get beyond a certain place where they might uh, use, in some sense, almost like a, a straw man or, or use something else to, to get around it. If, for example, you know, you, you recognize that a person really simply feels as though they're not being treated equally in a workplace or they're not, they're not getting respect in a workplace, that's the real core issue. That might manifest in them discussing, you know, in, you know about protests or, about, or talking about something that seems political. But the real factor is this issue. And I think, it, 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 you know, different, we, there's no general prescription. Different bosses have different relationships with their staff, yeah. different environments of different cultures and different, mm-hmm. different things. But, you know, if, if a boss doesn't feel that he or she can directly talk to someone that they think is affected, then they might have other people that, that they, they do feel closer to that they can talk to and say, well, you know, what do you think? You think I should approach Bob and ask him, you know, what, you know, why, why maybe he, he seems to be a little bit quiet these days, seems to be you know, a little bit withdrawn, or maybe he, he, I, I, I kind of sensed he was a bit emotional about what was happening when we discussed something, you know, a news article around the water cooler the other day. Um, I think there's a way of probing and probing genuinely, but it needs to be a genuine probe. 
not something where we're trying to change that person's opinion. Well, how do you do that though in a way that's not uh, intrusive uh, and and compel someone to reveal some aspect of of what they believe in, what they are concerned about, whether it's you know a particular candidate for office or uh, the 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 swelling of of protest uh, about racial injustice in our society, uh, whatever or whatever the issue is that's evoking. Uh, a, a sense of uh, concern or anxiety. Um, how do you do that as a boss in a way that is respectful uh, and not intrusive, but still demonstrates that you're a human being and that you care? Well, I, again, a good question. I mean, I, I think you you have to use the the criterion of whether this uh, whether you know addressing this sort of an issue is something that really is important for us as a workplace and is this going to help us to work better is it going to help us to to work together better help us better professionally i mean again before the pandemic uh, I, I was surprised you, you know that i've lived abroad for a long time i was surprised in coming back to uh to new york and uh, meeting up with friends with, that would say they they would have shooter drills like fire drills everywhere else they would have drills where you know, in case there was a disgruntled employee that would come in as a shooter. Active shooter drills, yep. That, that's, that's something that it, it, was, it was stunning to me, but it, yeah. it is the norm in the U.S. So, so naturally, it's, it's, you know, we, we cannot draw a hard line and just say, look, unless it deals with us making some profits, we can't discuss it. I think the, the important thing, though, is for that boss to sort of start asking and, and, and bringing these things together with a genuine concern as to how can we benefit from this? If we take, for example, the, the, a lot of the issues that have been raised over the last year, one way to look at it is negative. And a lot of people, they just want to put it aside and say, I want to get this over with. Hopefully the election will, will come and everybody will quiet back down. But then that sort of misses a certain opportunity. There's, there's an opportunity. And regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, social spectrum, there's an opportunity actually now to discuss things that you might never have discussed before. Ah. We, might be able to deal with that shooter that that shooter situation right Mm -hmm. by actually bringing those things out but again that's different than talking about in election politics as a solution because remember my 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 concern about discussing politics as in who are you voting for yeah that issue of of blanketing very complex issues by casting a vote Mm -hmm. whereas really complex issues you can try to address those complex issues and you probably should try to address those complex issues. Um, and and I, you know, I can say this from the Midwest now, and, and I say it openly to people. You know, my, my parents raised us in a place always to look at people, regardless of skin color, religion, ethnicity, and so forth, and to look at them as people. So I, I don't, you know, it's, it's not automatic to me to simply say, oh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, this is simply injustice that's done uh-huh. to African-Americans, or it's simply injustice done to women. There, there are people who are suffering, and I know people are suffering. I, I know white men that are suffering. You know, I, I know people that they, they're really struggling right now with a lot of different issues. Of course. They need to be brought out. Yes, yes. So uh, let me just remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm speaking with Tony Ewing, who is a behavioral scientist, a coach, a motivational speaker, and he runs a consultancy called Conquer Risk, talking about the risks uh, and rewards of getting into topics beyond uh, beyond the the work itself. It's although your 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 main advice that I'm hearing is always put in the front of your perspective when addressing you know potentially hot political, religious, whatever the social issue is topic. Uh, how does this affect our ability to do what we're here to do together? Um, do I have that right, Tony? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's an excellent way of getting So, So I, I have been promising uh, throughout this hour that we would get to your quick advice on, all right, so what can you talk about uh, that's, <laughs> that makes you a little bit less of a robot and more of a human being that is not going to evoke all these negative attributions or potentially evoke negative attributions and, and fear of other people that you might represent a threat to them. Uh, what, what are the, what's your favorite safe topic? 
Uh, well, I, I, as I mentioned, you know, the, the, the topic that people, um, the, the soft topic that people will, will bring up, it's a safe topic, but it's at the same time, the one that people will quickly, you know, say, let's get back to work is your own kids, right? I mean, when you, you bring up your family, you bring up kids, you bring up this kind of thing. If, if it's other people that, you know, don't have kids or aren't married or whatever it is, and when, when you bring up these kinds of topics, they tend to be relatively safe to the extent that you're talking about yourself. Oh, look, you know, my, my you know, daughter did this, my son did this, my uncle did that, blah, blah, blah. Those kind of things often bring us back to a certain level of humanity. It, let, it lets our colleagues know that we're human. At the same time, they're, they're things that, that uh, in, unless you allow, allow them to, don't bring us to this controversial state. Okay. If, you have to, if you do have to discuss things. So again, just to be clear, I'm not saying that we cannot discuss issues that are important and important to people and important to society in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But I think you characterized it, you know, properly that that it's we have to ask ourselves how will this our, this discussion uh, support or, or detract from us working together better as people. So if you know, I I can bring up uh, issues related to. Uh, challenges that we have in the workplace. For example, now when when I work, you know, I, I have different uh, business partners and so forth. And when we talk about things now, we talk about the the necessity. For example, Silicon Valley. We we talk about the necessity of there being more women representation, more mm -hmm. uh, minority representation. We talk about it openly, not as something that's been driven by an election coming. But simply because we're like, well, not everybody is, is uh, you know, Bill Gates. I mean, not everybody is, you know, there's a certain of that person. Well, let's, let's talk about race, because that is something that you live every day as an African-American and is, you know, a topic now that is just everywhere. Uh, and it seems unavoidable. Uh, so and that is one of, you know, those topics that can evoke fear and um, you know, the perception of threat. Uh, so what's your advice on that? How do you, how do you talk about Black Lives Matter in, you know, Goldman Sachs or an investment bank or, or McKinsey a consulting firm or, you know, whether you're running a small retail shop? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on that issue? Uh, and I suspect you're going you're gonna to start with well, how does this affect our business? And okay, start there. If, if um, but maybe there's a, a different starting point for that discussion. No, I mean, I, I think that's uh, you know th this this is a different issue. That 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 issue specifically with Black Lives Black Lives Matter. That that's an organization. So so again, we're we're we we then get into a question of is that representative of the complexity of Black people, and and. I don't. I, I don't uh, agree that it would be. I mean, I don't think that it represents all the views. There are things they, they came out with, like ten points of things that they would like to achieve. Not all those ten points are things that I think or that I agree with that they would need to achieve or that would need to be achieved. Um, I don't. I, I'm. I'm not particularly one, and I, I maybe this is is you know just generational. I'm not particularly one to believe that that comes in an organizational format. It, it's something that needs to come perhaps in, in a cultural format. It needs to be something where if this is being discussed, it needs to be discussed amongst, uh, first amongst African-Americans. I mean, there needs to be, you know, something. So when NAACP jumps behind uh, these kinds of, of movements and things, I'm asking myself, well, the first thing should have been to, to actually talk to people within the black community first, before you, you take it to an organization level and then ask, you know, how do we feel about that? Because, Depending upon where you're from in the country, depending upon, you know, I went to, to undergraduate in, in Chicago. Um, a lot of Chicagoans don't necessarily agree with, with all of that agenda. And, and it's because of certain things that they've been facing long before mm -hmm. any of this, this occurred. And I think that's, and that comes back down to, to a lot of experience, but it's experience with police brutality, especially out of the, the Mayor Daly times. Mm -hmm. It's experience with, understanding you know what works what doesn't it's it's also experience and understanding of again complexity in in different human experience so so i think that's that is a particular i mean i probably would discuss it that way i would probably say look the first thing is you know do we have other african americans here at this company yes we do okay so let's find out how actually these people feel rather than try to to 
captured into a group or into a format or a stereotype that 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 is captured by a group. Um, because you know, look, America is a great place, but as I always say, it, it is a marketplace, right? Every, everybody has a market. Everybody's got a brand, right? <laughs> so so it, no matter what organization, the organization's got to keep the lights on. So they have their own agenda, oftentimes, which is selling a certain message that may or may not be representative of what the ultimate people that that let's say it's said to benefits are, are but the main message is that there is systemic racism in our society and we need to do we need to take active measures to to try to root that out and to make change happen yeah. right so it's it's become a kind of rallying cry for that that essential idea yeah no you're you're right but i i think that has you know many people have been saying that for many decades yes a lot of, of, Centuries. of pundits like, you know, Cornell West. There's a lot of people that were pundits of this for many, many years. I think those people could have been uh, interviewed. They could have been uh, brought to the forefront. They could be, you know, offering a, a, a and, and articulating, uh, you know, specific, specific measures. Mm-hmm. I think instead, again, we, we, we appeal to an emotional cry. When we appeal to an emotional cry, then we have people that, that, that start looking and asking for things without a, a context. Mm. Um, you so know, the key is to, is to keep it uh, on, the, on the level of reason as much as possible. I and mean, that's a big part of what uh, behavioral science that you've been you know, devoting yeah. your career to is, is all about, right? Is to sort of parse uh, the irrational from the rational. Uh, Tony, we've only got a couple minutes left here. And I'm wondering if you can... Uh, speak to people just entering the workforce now um what advice do you have for them as they uh are just starting to navigate what are sometimes unfathomable waters of of uh of the you know social life in work relationships what's the best advice you've got for new entrants to the workforce uh, I mean, again I, I my my feeling is that you know that that old wisdom of you know, sort of stopping, observing, listening uh, to other people. To me, that's that's the best piece of advice someone's you know ever given me. I, I you know I know a guy that I was just talking to a few weeks ago, and he was he was talking about the how that has just benefited him throughout his career. You know, he's like sometimes I've been clueless about something, sometimes I've been angry about something, whatever it is. But if he sits back and he listens, oftentimes his anger is quelled because he realizes there's more to the story that someone has, has said at the workplace. His boss, maybe his boss has said something, it really offended him or whatever, but then he realized later on his boss didn't mean it to offend him um, or his boss you know, caught himself or whatever it might be. And in that context, I think that's an important way. You know, p- People, again, they're not robots. Sometimes you say things, sometimes you do things, sometimes you use the wrong word choice. Sometimes you, you or... On the other hand, sometimes people are mean spirited. Somebody, you know, and mm-hmm. and that might be a wake up call for you to realize maybe this isn't the place that I really want to be, right. or this isn't the company or, or or type of place I want to be working. So, so I think you know, in in my opinion, um, you know, we the the U.S. has has we've we've proven that we can vocalize and that we can speak and we can talk out. We but can I think shout. We, we haven't proven that we can listen. We haven't proven that we can sit back. And how do you and, listen on social media? Exactly. Exactly. That, in, in fact, one of the guys that was the founder of Twitter, he said he, he actually regrets uh, the, the you know, fact that Twitter has been used more as a way of almost you know, barraging and harassing people than as a way of actually conversing and having a conversation, ha- you know, having some sort of a genuine communication. Yeah. And that, that's, which you know, requires and I think, symmetry, reciprocity, listening to the other. Yeah. Which is, and right. I mean, most social media are simply broadcast one way, right? Yeah. I mean, there, we, there's interaction, there's chats, et cetera, but it turns into one person shouting into, a, into another's stream. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I set up the premise, I anchor, maybe I send a picture, I send a video. And, and very often those videos, if, if you look at, at m- many of the things that have been sent over the last few months that have gone viral, they're always cropped to, to present evoke a, anger and a person and a person strong emotion. Tony, we're going to have to wrap it up here. Unfortunately, this is a great topic. Maybe we'll get, be able to get you back to talk more about uh, political discourse on social media in particular, but 
you know, if you could sum it up in just a phrase, what, what would you tell uh, the new entrant to the workforce in terms of how to navigate these treacherous waters? I would say that, you know, your, your topic of choice is, is a risk-taking, right? And it's very important for you to manage that risk by thinking a lot about how your audience, your colleagues and other people will receive what you say. Yeah, you gotta be mindful, conscious about how your words are going to be received um, yeah. on, on all topics, especially these. Tony, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, sharing your wisdom. Uh, what's the best place for listeners to learn more about the work you do? Um, well, my, my website, uh, Tony Ewing, all one word, dot com. That's, that's probably the best place or, or LinkedIn. <laughs> all right. A lot of different things on there. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, so much for you, uh, your time. And of course there's Forbes, you know, <laughs> the there Forbes. is Forbes where you write regularly. So check out Tony Ewing there. Thanks very much. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thanks very much. And thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week, 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on the show, you can email me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu, or our station, which is business radio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow on Twitter at SXMBusiness. I'm at Stu Friedman. And you can find edited versions of most of our shows uh, as free podcasts in a in a, a week or so after they uh, air on SiriusXM at totalleadership.org, where you can also find other information about how to create harmony and better performance in all the different parts of life. Thanks to Patty Hall, our producer, our sound engineer, who is Chris Tooks. I am Stu Friedman, and you've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, SiriusXM 132.